Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode four, and this week I spoke to Emily Hunt of In the Folds. Emily is a sewer and pattern maker who is dedicated to using reclaimed and pre-loved materials. Listen on for my whole conversation with Emily. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Emily Hunt of In the Folds. We're outside her studio on a nice day, drinking some tea and chatting. Thanks for being here. Oh, no worries. Thanks for having me. Cool. I'll just jump straight into it. Um, so, Em, what's your fiber of choice? What sort of medium do you gravitate towards the most? Um, well, I'm a sewer, so I only go for fabrics. Mm-hmm. I'm not really into fibers per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and use everything that's secondhand or pre-loved. So I don't tend to pick something by what it is, but more where it comes from. So if I can go for natural fibers, I will, if I can access them. But generally, um, I'll take whatever's going as long as it's secondhand or comes from from an origin. I know where it's come from and it's not coming from some dicey supply chain. I try and avoid that when I can. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? Like, how are you sourcing your set, your pre-loved fabrics? And then how are you sourcing the ones that have a transparent Mm -hmm. supply chain? at the moment, I'm still learning because yeah. I just moved back to Sydney mm. six months ago, so I'm kind of learning how it's done here. Um, I go to this great place called the Fabric Cave, which is in Meadowbank in Sydney, and it's run by these lovely retired women who who open this place, and all the money goes to charity. Yeah. Um, basically, everything's just donated to the company, so maybe someone's passed away and had a crazy fabric stash and it gets donated there, or people just pass things on and so you go and it's like a treasure trove of stuff and wow. and just kind of rat through it so I try and go there when I can and then otherwise secondhand stores yeah. um, sometimes find some things but it's a bit scarier there because they <laughs> tend to have a few more stains and smell a bit funnier yeah um, and then garage sales I tend to find stuff as well oh cool and I think once you tell people you're wanting to use secondhand stuff they just start handing it to you yeah. I've noticed lately once I think some people feel like Oh no, it's offensive nearly handing your, your leftovers on to someone. But once they know you're open to it, I just people just leave me bags by their front door. It's like, oh, I found this for you. You might like it. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. That's so cool. And then when you're sourcing something that's new or not pre-loved, have you, how have you kind of navigated that space? Like, are you Not as well as I should have. Mm. I, I look and I think about it, but I just think it's so... It, occasionally the fabric will tell you where it's made, but mm. never... Never much else. So it's really, yeah. I think my motto is to do less bad. Because if you try and yeah. do 100% good, you're just going to sit still. Mm. So I feel like, like recently a friend wanted me to make her a dress and she asked for a particular color fabric. Yeah. And I just knew I couldn't find that. Maybe if I had six months to do it, I could have found it secondhand. But mm. I ended up having to go buy it in store. Yeah. And I just had to rationalize it that that's the first new piece of fabric I've bought this year and all the rest has been secondhand and, and something that hopefully one day there will be, you know, a better supply chain, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you were living in London, because you were in London before here, um, were you, did you find that scene a little bit easier to navigate? Was there more kind of pre-loved going? Was that easier to find? Or do you, like, there how was, do you find those? There was just way more. I yeah. had been interested in it when I was at university. I'd been de- thinking about it a lot, but not sure how to actually bring it into my work. Mm. Um, and then I moved to London and started, I interned for an ethical um, fa- online fashion hub. Ooh. And suddenly my eyes were opened to this whole different world. I just couldn't believe how many people were doing stuff related to this. And I went to Aesthetica, which is the um, 
the sustainable side of London Fashion Week. Mm, I've just yeah. met all these interesting people who are using different materials and sourcing them ethically, and it kind of became much more tangible that people were onto something and people were interested, mm. and it wasn't seen as so daggy and crafty that maybe it's seen a bit like upcycling to me was like a dirty word nearly <laughs> like it means these things that you could never replicate and yeah. they're one size only and you've got a sleeve and a collar in strange places <laughs> but suddenly in London I saw pieces that were just so incredible that you would never know they were made out of a parachute or they were they were made of end roll fabrics and they just look like anything else and I kind of think that's the key to to creating sustainable fashion is kind of hoodwinking people you know they buy a dress because they love it yeah and it it hasn't had the negative impact of that other dress yeah. and it's a win-win for the buyer and designer and yeah. you know I don't think we're going to sell stuff by waving green flags and you know because it's in instantly related to people are going to assume you're making things that are really daggy made out of hemp and yeah. I don't know you know those kind of that yeah. kind of side of ethical fashion, which everything's in brown and dark green, and yeah, um, yeah. So I think I think London definitely opened my eyes, and then I just had to think about how I could how I could emulate that here, and mm. how I could dig underneath the surface. And I found that great fabric place, which apparently has been there for years, and I yeah. never even knew about it. Yeah, I've never so, heard of it. it. Sounds so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, what would you say is sort of your favorite? part about this world that you're in, this craft community, the fiber arts space. And I'm kind of, I'm thinking of using the term fiber arts like pretty loosely just to encompass anything that has to do with textiles or fiber. And um, so I guess because of that, I'm curious to know what your kind of unique perspective as a sewer, as a pattern maker, pattern designer is in that space. And so what part of that excites you? And is there something in particular right now that you're excited about? Yeah. I guess I'm most excited that people are doing it. Yeah. I think that's really exciting because I used to kind of think I was the only one doing it. And then I went to university and met all these other makers and realized there were more of me. Yeah. And then more so now post-university, realizing there are loads of people who are making and, and collectively people are getting more skilled. That excites me because I mm -hmm. think maybe a lot of people started crafting at the same time and now there's room, people are growing, people are wanting more skills. Mm -hmm. And my patterns, I'm definitely not going for the beginner I think there's enough beginner patterns out there and to me that just doesn't excite me because mm -hmm. I'm not a beginner so I don't want to be sewing beginner samples um so trying to to make pieces that kind of push people a little bit and people are like wow I've never done an invisible zip but I'll give it a go with your pattern and realizing yeah. where you know that's not so scary yeah. kind of thing so that really excites me that people are kind of sewing not just to make clothes but to learn a skill and the same with knitting like people are are really hunting down patterns and things so they can build on their skill base. Mm. Um, and I'm also excited, I was, I think, about, about people really engaging with making and thinking about where their things are coming from. I think maybe when, when, you, when I first learned to sew, I was just pumping things out, you know? I didn't mm. care if they were finished properly. I didn't care if I only wore them once. Now I'm really, I consider what I'm making because mm. I don't have enough time to be making just junk and... Yeah. I really want to enjoy the process and make it well and know it will last. And I think more people are doing that. Yeah. And there's there's even people, there's a movement for one year, one outfit. And these women are yeah. making these outfits 
just you know making making uh, weaving the fabric and going yeah. from there making the buttons making shoes Amazing. and I just think like how incredible is that and yeah. really taking the time to think about where things come from and yeah. and not just churning things out because we all have enough stuff yeah really. like we're not we're not in a sh we're not going to be naked yeah. Like, yeah so why not like make something really considered and yeah. something that's really authentic and yeah so I think that's probably where I'm at at this this moment mm, I love that that's really good um how did you kind of get your start with sewing can you tell us or just generally the craft community but can you tell us a bit about your journey into this and then what's kind of kept you motivated to keep doing it um well I learned to sew when I was about eight my mom sent me to a sewing class to yeah. kind of keep me busy yeah. um my mom's not crafty at all she had a sewing machine but she's more sporty yeah. and she was like you don't want to play netball, you don't want to run, what do I do with you? I'll send you to sewing school. Um, and I was the youngest of there. And I just remember being like so impressed with this idea that you could just bring something to class and this amazing teacher would help you make it. Mm. And she sometimes was a bit funny. I would arrive to my class after school with this thing I wanted to make. And she'd say, you're not up to that, Emily. What are you thinking? You know, you're, you know by this point I was probably 11. But I just liked the possibility. Um, mm. And then I just have been making forever. I just feel it's always been kind of a steady thing in my life that I've been sewing. And I, I make for different reasons. When I was a teenager, I just wanted something to wear because I had no money. And yeah. I didn't really like what was around. So I made clothes for that reason. But now I make because I just like making and I like engaging with making and thinking. And, and so it's kind of changed. And I think I just got lucky that my my hobby could become a career mm. so I never really made the decision to go to university and study fashion I feel it was just kind of a decision that was made long before I actually applied yeah. it just seemed like the natural step and and now I think what keeps me going is just that that love that yeah. to use my hands and I decided that going into a, a standard fashion job wasn't for me because I would be probably drawing up things and then sending it to China to be made and I want to be the maker mm. I want to although I spend probably 70% of my week on my computer <laughs> yeah. which I didn't imagine at least I do get that time to use my hands and and to make things and create and and to see the process from beginning to end mm. I think that's what I love the most is having an idea and then having a finished product at the end of it yeah. rather than you know, I, I design this piece and then I send it away and someone cuts it and then another person makes it and another person ships it and another person sells it. And I don't think with that model, I wouldn't feel the same satisfaction because I never saw a finished thing. Whereas yeah. now the satisfaction of hanging it up on a coat hanger after I've made it is so incredible. It's just like, wow, I made that from beginning to end. Yeah, and that's really, really cool. Just, yeah, to be able to see that from the idea in your head to the actual finished garment, which is not that sort of common in a lot of different spaces. Yeah, exactly. And I can't draw. So to me, being able to, to make something that mm -hmm. I had thought of originally is, is so exciting. It's like, oh, this was the concept. This is what I was thinking, although my, my sketch looks nothing like it. <laughs> yeah. But just creating something tangible out of a thought process is like that excites me and keeps me coming back yeah do you feel like before in the folds like before it became like a business um was it sort of did your motivation change 
from when you were kind of just sewing as a hobby and then sewing as a business? I don't know if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I started a blog. I moved to London and lived there three years. Yeah. And um, I started realizing there was this community going on, which I'd never even realized. Um, so I started a blog because I had been interning to, to be a pattern maker and just no one was giving me the experience I wanted people would let me do a few tweaks and then as soon as it got major they would hire a freelancer to do the big stuff mm. and I was just like pick me pick me I want to do it but there was this big gap between what what I could do there and so I decided I was just I kept saying to myself I could learn more at home than mm. I am like one internship I was doing I was actually pattern cutting and I would ask for advice from someone and they were they didn't know the answer and I'd be back to online searching how to do something and I realized I could just do that at home without paying the bus to get to this place and out without, you know, needing to buy lunch and all these things. So I started doing it from home and just learning so much that way. Yeah. Um, but it hadn't, I didn't see it as a business at all. My, my old blog, MX Patterns, was just literally a process journal. And I just thought if, if I'm learning, probably someone else could learn from this. Yeah. And as I got more feedback from people saying they were finding it useful and they hadn't found anything like that online, that's when I started thinking possibly it could be a business. Mm. And I saw other women doing it. I saw all these other women starting these little businesses from their from their basements. And I yeah. thought, gosh, if they can do that, maybe I can do that too. I want a piece of that pie, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's different, this business now, because when I started MX Patterns, I just whacked it off and I... I didn't think about things, but now every decision I make, I feel it's not, it just takes a lot longer. I thought, oh, I can whack up a website like I did the first time, but yeah. this time everything's much more considered because I hope this can become something. I hope it can become my livelihood, so I have yeah. to consider the decisions I make, and it's not just about me learning. It's about, well, the focus has shifted from me to other people now, I guess, mm. and trying to bring things that other people feel irrelevant, not yeah. me just learning the skills I need because that's that's not gonna that's not gonna resonate with people if it's all about me really yeah so. yeah changing the changing that focus yeah change them exactly to your community. like you, you I can imagine you would feel this is useful rather than me saying this week I want to learn how to make a collar for mm. example because it might not it just might not be useful to people so I think that's what I'm constantly thinking about before yeah. I invest a lot of time in it will someone find this useful will they come back to this blog post when they're sewing in an invisible zip or yeah. something like that. So that's what I think about. Yeah, yeah. What's your sort of biggest bit of advice for someone who's just starting out on their fiber arts journey or their, you know, sewing or whatever it is? Um, and maybe from a business perspective or a non-business perspective, maybe those answers are different or maybe they're the same. I think, I think they're the same. Mm. I think just do it. Mm. I really think there's no point sitting around thinking about things I think I thought so long about before I even started my first blog I just thought about it for so long <laughs> rather than just putting pen to paper and doing it mm. and you know you can have a million ideas but if you don't just put it down those ideas never evolve they remain at that beginning point and once you put it down so once you start sewing the first thing you might make you the first thing you make could be really bad and that's okay most people's first thing is bad but then next time it will be better and you just build on that yeah. but if you never cut out that dress and try it's just going to sit there and and you just don't have a chance yeah. and i'm feeling business is the same as that yeah. like some things i've i haven't been 100% 
happy with. You know, I might see something on my website and it's formatted weirdly and I don't know how to fix it, but there's no point wasting a whole day on it. I just have to do it and know that in time it'll be fixed. And, mm. you know, every few weeks I sit down and I have got a list of all the things I want to tweak on my website and the things that need to be updated and I just do it and just see it as you know, a work in progress. Yeah. And so making things I think is the same. It's just always this work in progress and, you know, you hope in five years you look back and you're just like, wow, look how far I've come. I can't believe I made that crap top five years ago. <laughs> I'm definitely hiding it or donating it to charity. But now I make clothes that actually look like clothes. Yeah, and, yeah. and at first you have to deal with the whole thing of people saying, oh, did you make that? And you're wondering, is that a compliment? Or can you see, like, is that, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but you just have to embrace it and own it and, I don't know, just just keep building on it. Yeah, I feel like so much of that sort of learning process and that curve is what stops people from doing things as adults. Like, oh, I'm not good at this thing, so I'm just going to stop. Where when you were a kid and you were learning to sew, you just thought of all the endless possibility. And maybe the thing you made looked crap, but you didn't yeah. care. You just... You I probably know. didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's true. I think the fear holds us back. Yeah. I think lately I've been thinking it'd be really nice to get fit. And when I think about that, it just seems like this massive process and, and I'm going to walk out there with my running shoes on and look like an idiot because I can't <laughs> run 100 metres. Mm. But I really need to bring part of my kind of what I've learned from sewing into that and think mm. maybe in a year I could run a kilometre and how good would that be? And, yeah. But I think it is daunting when you see how incredibly, incredibly talented some people are. And mm. you think, oh, my business could never look like that business. It's never going to emulate that. But then you remember, oh, they started somewhere and probably five years ago they were just where I am. Yeah. And having to remember that. So keeping people in sight that you look up to, but also remembering you're not one of them yet. And, yeah. and remembering that you're seeing only the only the pretty moments like we course. were talking about earlier. Just like you're seeing the beautiful sunlit shots of their studio. You're not seeing the messy desk when you're trying yeah. to like, and the, you know, exactly. the skipped dinners when yeah. you're like trying to push out a pattern. Yeah, exactly. And mm -hmm. it does always seem a lot more glamorous and a lot, you're thinking, oh, they're selling millions of products. And, <laughs> and you think people talk about this passive income thing, like just create one PDF product, you put it online and then the sales will come. That doesn't happen. That's mm. not how it works. Mm. There's nothing passive about my income whatsoever. Yeah. I think I worked out that for me to to pay to get to feel that I was paid for my my pattern I just released, I would have to sell it for all the hours I worked. I would have to sell it over four hundred times. Wow. Like yeah. that's a, that's not passive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am never gonna bring back the money it cost me in time yeah. to to create that product, and and that was a decision I made, and I knew I wouldn't get rich out of it. Mm. But I think people get get on the bandwagon that if you you create a digital product, mm. you're gonna be rolling in cash. <laughs> and it's just not like that. Like, yeah, it's amazing waking up one morning and being like, I sold a pattern overnight. Yeah. I made nineteen dollars while I was sleeping. But then I work all day and don't make what make one sale. So yeah. So it, it, it all balances out really and, yeah. and I think that's something that I really appreciate when I hear other people talk about because otherwise you feel like you're the only one slaving away for nothing and yeah. and investing so much of yourself into a business hoping that, you know, one person loves what you do and, and hands over their money for it. Because, mm. you know, you might get a million likes on Instagram, but the step between that moment and going to your website and purchasing a product of yours, there's that's kilometres between that <laughs> transaction, you know? There's so many 
different things that can get in the way and yeah and and that's something I'm learning the further along I go that mm. um no matter how pe- how many people tell you something's great it it's a real process them connecting with why it's worth money why they should hand you their money for that product and what value they get out of it yeah so yeah who do you think we need to be following along with in sort of the sewing fiber arts sphere and maybe these are people in your real life and I'm using air quotes around real life (laughs) or your Instagram life online life whatever that is well I when I when I think about it the people it depends on what I'm doing so at the moment I'm kind of thinking about doing a pattern for the new year Mm. or later in the new year that will have an embroidery element which I love the idea of but I can do embroidery but not enough to make a pattern out of it so I've been kind of looking around for people who maybe I could get involved and collaborate with so that means like at the moment my Instagram feed is just filled with these amazing women who do this crazy embroidery which is really inspiring and that's like to me a whole different craft in itself because you're spending so much time on this minute detail. Yeah, yeah. And yes. I come across these women that I just think are so incredible, like Liz Payne. Mm, Do you know her? Mm-hmm. I just look at her feet and I'm yeah. just like, oh, my gosh, I just want a whole blanket made looking like that. It's just so incredible and so detailed. And I think her stuff's really beautiful. And then Sarah Benning, who does these, like, hoop embroideries that are all um, – or plants and, and oh, trees, yes. very green, yes, and her so Instagram feed is so beautiful. It's yeah. just all green and and lovely. And I think I think so at the moment that's inspiring me. But then maybe I'll think about adding another element to my business, and suddenly I'll be you know going printing crazy or I don't know. The I think you once you find one person that's doing something cool, you realize there's a whole community doing that craft, like weaving. Until recently, I didn't even know people did that. Oh my gosh, it's a thing. It's like weavers of Instagram. I'm like, my gosh, I didn't know anyone did that. And how incredible it is and how beautiful some of the things they do are. So, so yeah, at the moment it's embroidery. Yeah. And I also thought about, I have a friend, this very talented friend of mine who's now living in New York, and her name's Catherine Mavridis, and she's just so incredible what she's doing. She's making these pieces that are just sculptural, basically, and mm. really somewhere between knit and and woven and just so different to what we think of when we think of clothing, and that, to me, is so incredible. And when I'm designing patterns, it, you know, there's only so much you can do because you are designing a pattern that someone can use and will feel comfortable using whereas what she's doing because it's just these one-off pieces she can really just you know go crazy with it yeah. so I find that really inspiring so she's definitely worth checking out as well oh, good we'll have links to all those people in the show notes in case you want to check them out um cool well that's kind of those are all the questions yeah. that I have is there anything else that you wanted to ask I don't think so. I think that's it. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for catching up. Thanks for having me. You've just listened to episode four of the Close Knit Podcast. You can find show notes for this episode, as well as all previous episodes, on the blog at closeknit.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review, subscribe, and tell your friends, because that'll help us reach more people. Thanks so much for tuning in. Till next time.